Rick's marriage was going on 19 years. He and his wife hadn't taken a vacation in as long as he could remember. Their whole focus was on raising their kids. Intimacy was pretty much gone. Shortly after turning 56, he hits a midlife crisis. He was stuck in the monotony of a corporate job, swimming with the sharks in a sea of cubicles. His daily three-hour commute was grinding him down. So he decided to quit and took an early retirement. He checked off a couple of the midlife crisis boxes and even got a Harley Davidson and got some tattoos. But he still wasn't satisfied. And then one night, he found something that would change his life forever. A woman with a finger pressed up against her lips. And the caption beneath it that said, life is short, have an affair. What Rick discovered that night was Ashley Madison, a forbidden forest full of temptation a place for married people to step outside of their marriage and cheat. So he signs up, enters his email and credit card details, and spends a couple of weeks getting to know the site. And then one day, he opens up his email to find a message from a Mr. X. It reads, Bad news. I know what you've been doing on Ashley Madison. I'm going to send messages to all of your friends and family members. Wondering how to prevent me from doing this? It's simple. You need to send me $1,000 in Bitcoin. How much is your marriage, standing in your community, and reputation at work worth to you? Your countdown has started. Damn. I'm Alzo Slade, and from something else, this is Cheat, the show that asks the question, is it ever okay to break the rules? This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Back in 2012, a law professor named Paul Ohm wrote a paper on this idea called the Database of Ruin. That basically says... We all have information about ourselves online, and if it fell into the wrong hands, it would be catastrophic. I mean, just think about it. Have you ever lied to your partner? Just a small one. Maybe you text your boyfriend and you say you're on your way home when you really haven't left yet. Or you tell your wife that you picked up the dry cleaning when you went for a drink with your buddies. At the very least, it might cause an argument or a fight. But in 2015, something happened that would turn Ohm's theory into stark reality. An internet hack where it wasn't just whether you'd done the laundry that was at stake. No, it was a question that sometimes haunts many relationships. Is one of us cheating on the other? I think that in 2015, we still had a sense that if you were a private citizen, the internet was a safe place for you and your data. This is Kristen Brown. I am Kristen V. Brown. I am a healthcare reporter at Bloomberg News. 
In 2015, Kristen was covering the internet and technology at this site called Fusion. She says that even just six years ago, the way we thought about the internet was very different. I don't think people thought twice about entering their information. We all know exactly what it's like. You put your email here, tell us your address, choose a password. Most of the time, we do it without even thinking. It's like these websites put you in a trance and we just subconsciously give them all of our most intimate personal details. I don't think we had a perception that anything could come back to haunt us. But that year, things started to change. I think that we were in this cultural moment where there was a lot of sort of licentiousness going on in the internet. Licentiousness. Now that's a word. The internet was becoming a pretty dark and seedy place. There had been the iCloud hack of a lot of female Hollywood starlets like Jennifer Lawrence. Massive invasion of privacy for some big stars, including Jennifer Lawrence. You had uh, Kamala Harris, who was the attorney general of California, who had really just begun her crusade against revenge porn sites. Instead, we should be talking about it in the context of cyber exploitation. Websites that at the time were making a killing taking naked photos of women and posting them online. And then there was Ashley Madison. (laughs) So I think that I was aware of the website as part of this constellation of things going on on the internet. The dark web, revenge porn, Ashley Madison. This moment where the internet was kind of becoming like seedy, I would say. Ashley Madison was the brainchild of Toronto native Noah Biderman a former attorney, sports agent, and self-described happily married father of two. According to Biderman, he went online one day and noticed that there are a lot of ads popping up promoting singles in your area. And he started thinking, what about the folks who were already taken but wanted a little something on the side? Basically, men and women in relationships who wanted to cheat. There doesn't seem to be anything out there catering to that market. And so he came up with the idea of Ashley Madison, a website where married men and women could have affairs with each other. The tagline, life is short, have an affair. It's really of that time. Like, it's that woman with the finger over her mouth, sort of like whispering, shh, saying basically life is short, cheat. Just to be clear, this site wasn't about polyamory. This was cheating having an affair with another person who is not your partner and your partner knowing nothing about it. The site was meant for both men and women, but the way it made money was exclusively from men. Every time a man sent a message to someone, he'd have to pay. Women, however, were able to use Ashley Madison totally for free. That was the business model, and it was a huge success. By 2015... Ashley Madison was adding thousands of new users a day, and its total client list had reached nearly 40 million worldwide. Clearly, Noel Biderman had tapped into the animalistic nature of the human being, the desire to have other sexual partners. Then in July, employees of Ashley Madison walk into their Toronto offices, fire up their computers, and are immediately hit by the opening guitar riff from the song Thunderstruck by ACDC. It's blaring out of their speakers. A message flashes all over their screens in big writing. That's coming up after the break. G. 
you ever wonder how celebrities order food? Like, is Sarah Paulson a Diet Coke or a regular Coke girlie? <laughs> Some peasant Coke? No. Or how does Sofia Vergara order a pizza? No, not, no tomatoes. I cannot eat tomatoes. tomatoes? Yes. Are you killed mushrooms? Not really. <laughs> if these are the details you need, and I know you do, I have the podcast for you. I'm Jesse Tyler Ferguson, and on my podcast, Dinners on Me, I take some notable friends of mine out to dinners in Los Angeles and New York City. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. That thing was delicious. It's July 12, 2015. Ashley Madison is at its peak with millions of users around the world. Their employees have just arrived at work. They turn on their computers as normal and are greeted by a 90s dad rock classic blaring from their speakers and a big scary message flashing on their screen. If you don't take down your websites, which we find morally reprehensible, we are going to start releasing user data. They had been hacked, and the message was clear. Shut down Ashley Madison within 30 days, or all of its users' data will be released into the world. All those people in happy or unhappy long-term relationships and marriages will be exposed for the world to see. Kristen remembers hearing news of the hack, but she was skeptical. We knew this hack was coming, but it was unclear how real it was. Would they really release the data? For 30 days, everyone held their breath. Just imagine if you were one of those people who'd signed up to Ashley Madison. Your secret desires around infidelity are about to be exposed to the world, and even worse, to your wife and family. And then in August, the first trove of data was released. 37 million sets of individual user data. Really, unless you had been smart enough to sign up for the website using a burner credit card and fake email. Like, all of your identifying details were in there. So it's not only your credit card details, home address and email, but also how much money you'd spend on the site, what your sexual preferences are, even the messages you were sending. You're basically butt-naked online. The internet exploded. I just remember our whole office, which was like 10 people at the time. It was a very small media startup office, and we all just snapped into action, like panic, like, oh my God, like, who's going to do what? You know, you're going to do this, you're going to do this. And and my first thought was, I need to talk to people who are victims of this hack. Like, thousands of people whose lives could be upended by giving their information to a website with bad security practices. She wanted to hear their stories. Did they realize their data was in the breach? And more importantly, have they told their partners yet? And I mean, I remember sitting at one of our, um, you know, open floor plan tables in the Fusion office, just like emailing people until my eyes like couldn't stare at the screen anymore, just like late into the night. So when we decided to do this episode, we started thinking about who we could get for an interview. We were all pretty much in agreement. We need to speak to someone affected by this hack, one of the users. And so our producer Tom started trying to find someone who would talk. He searched the internet for people who had gone on the record with their story. Unsurprisingly, not many had gone public. And those that had, wouldn't talk. I mean, if you were using a site meant for extramarital affairs, would you want to talk to a podcast producer about it? 
probably not. So after a lot of dead ends, he decided he needed the email addresses, the ones in the stolen data released back in 2015. Are those email addresses even still out there? So it looks like the data is only accessible by the deep web. <laughs> God, I've got no idea what any of this means. Um, luckily, my partner, she's actually a private investigator, so I'm going to go and ask her to help me. I actually had no clue Tom's girlfriend was a private investigator until this episode, but she probably already knew that. Together, they managed to download the data, the data of all these Ashley Madison users exposed by the hack. So Tom starts scrolling through until he sees email addresses, thousands of them, and he types an approach. Um, I've said in the email that kind of we can keep all these conversations anonymous. So yeah, we'll see, we'll see what we get back. A few years before, at the time of the hack, Kristen was going through the exact same thing. I think that we were thinking about the people who signed up for this website in this very black and white way. Like, oh, these people are cheaters. Like, the the tone towards these people was very moralistic, right? She had contacted thousands of email addresses leaked in the data and had just started to receive some replies. One guy stood out. He had gotten married at 19, and... He didn't want to leave his wife. They had a whole life together. He loved her, but he didn't have that spark with her anymore. And he felt like he had missed out on dating other people. And so he signed up for the website sort of just to like see what was out there, right? And I mean, you can imagine somebody coming to a website like that from that perspective. Married at 19 years old, at that age, I didn't know what I wanted to be in life, let alone know who I wanted to spend the rest of that life with. This guy hadn't even lived yet. No wonder he felt that temptation. He was ripe for the picking. That was another thing that was really interesting at the time is the people who had remained anonymous, they didn't have anybody they could talk to about this. So these people, they would just like send me dozens and dozens of emails, either about scam artists trying to come after them or how worried they were because people were just living with that feeling that they had to look over their shoulder because they didn't know when the other shoe would drop. But not everyone was as understanding as Kristen. In the South, one thing that happened was there was an individual who started releasing names hoping to expose local people who had cheated. We all know cheating happens everywhere, but down there in the Bible Belt, the Ten Commandments is above the law. And one of the commandments is, thou shalt not commit adultery. So if you end up doing it and get exposed, it's not good for you. I mean, there was a mayor, I believe in Alabama, who got outed and had to, to resign. This begs the question, should adultery be a fireable offense, or is it simply the culture of shame? It made me think of, you know, in, in the olden days, if you were an adulterer, right? Like, this goes back to the book, The Scarlet Letter. The Scarlet Letter is this book set in the 17th century. In the book, a woman is punished for supposed adultery by being forced to wear a big red A on her chest. Right, you would be publicly shamed for being an adulterer. And we, and we saw that in the South, that there was deliberate efforts to try and out people who had broken, like, 
the moral code, basically. So you can see why if you'd been publicly shamed like that, you might not want to talk to anyone, as our producer Tom was finding out. Yeah, I've had a couple of a couple more no's. Um, a couple of polite ones, one maybe not so so polite. <laughs> the guy said, who the fuck are you and what the fuck are you babbling about? So um, clearly doesn't want to talk to me. Tom job sucks. <laughs> Either our producer Tom has no game or these people really do not want to talk to him. <laughs> okay, here's one from this guy. See if he's up for talking. That's coming up after the break. Hey, hello? Hey, how you doing? Good, how are you? I'm good, thank you. Just to remind you, Tom has been working for weeks trying to speak to a user whose details were leaked in the hack. And he's finally managed to get hold of this guy called Steve. Thirty-five years ago, I was selling Macs. Uh, so, Steve lives alone in Canada, and he says he first became aware of Ashley Madison while working in computers. Uh, we just became aware, because, you know, we, we knew of things beforehand. You know, we were all perverts back then, <laughs> you know, in your young age. Just to explain, Steve's not going on Ashley Madison looking to cheat. He's on there really for some fun. He was into fetish and things like that, and so he sent out a bunch of messages. So I must have sent hundreds of those out, literally. Now, what was in the emails, we'll leave that to your imagination. Plus, my mom listens to this podcast. But whatever he sent, it worked, because Steve finally got a response. We actually met at a fetish club, and because that's where she felt comfortable. You know, I felt comfortable because I was able to bring, you know, a couple of my friends with me. So that's where we met for the first time. And was she, 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 was she single, do you think, or was she married? That's a good question. Uh, I never was able to establish that. I think she, ha- I don't think she was married per se, but I think she had a relationship. <laughs> per se, eh? Well, Steve only met this person once. They had a good first date at the fetish club, but it didn't really develop into a regular thing. And then, so fast forward to 2015, um, news starts breaking that there's, you know, hackers have managed to gain entry into Ashley Madison and they're threatening to release all of the data of all of the users. Were you aware of this at this point or, you know? I was. You were. I was. I remember getting an email saying that I was on a list of people. And that, that email just appeared, right? And I don't know if it was sent, who it was sent by, but uh, it appeared and it said that, you know, it, it had been hacked, you're on the list, if you want to check it out, there was a link, you took the link, you saw this big list, and indeed there was uh, one of my emails there on the list. He couldn't believe it. He immediately started thinking about his career and people he worked with. Toronto's a very conservative place. You see, I was a consultant back then doing uh, accounting installations as well as network installations. I had a a base of clients. You know, 
one of my clients, he, he was a peer, right? <laughs> Who knows how he would have taken it. Steve wasn't cheating, but having his name all over the internet, linked to a site like Ashley Madison, his sexual preferences exposed for all the world to see, that was frightening. And so he waited. Waited for the shoe to drop. For someone to find out that his name was in the leaked data and plaster it all over social media. But it never came. Steve's clients never found out about him being on Ashley Madison. But others weren't so lucky. It wouldn't be hard to imagine how something like this could completely destroy someone's life. It did not take very long after the hack before there were suicides of people whose information had been leaked. There was a suicide of a, of a pastor in, in the South who had struggled with sex addiction, uh, and, he, and he killed himself. People took their lives because of the stress of having that data out there. I mean, these are real-world consequences from virtual actions. And it's, it's really sad. You think about it, the Internet seems like a safe place. We bank there, buy there, chat with friends there, and some people cheat there. Some of us are careless in providing our data. Once it turns into zeros and ones, anybody can get to it. So who's responsible? Ashley Madison, the leakers, or the users? There were a lot of attempts to pursue legal action against Ashley Madison. And it became very hard for two reasons. One judge said that you could not sue as a John Doe, which meant that you had to expose yourself publicly And then the other thing that happened was one judge ruled that hack data and even news stories about the hack were inadmissible in court, which, again, makes it really hard to sue over hacked information if you can't use the information. So Ashley Madison wound up being really protected against against lawsuits, despite the fact that they had absolutely breached the trust of its users. So how exactly did they breach their trust? I mean, obviously, they should have kept their data safe. That's pretty clear. But it wasn't just the user's data that got leaked. You know, the hack didn't just have personal user information. It also had a lot of information about Ashley Madison, the business. Another thing that Ashley Madison had done was it created female chatbots to chat with male users. Wait a minute. Chatbots? Damn. Like, imagine you do all of the moral and mental gymnastics required to convince yourself that being on this site is okay, that cheating is okay, and you pay a lot of money to be on it, thinking you're chatting with a real person willing to fulfill a sexual void in your life. And then, boom, you find out most of the people you were talking to weren't even real. They were bots. And so that's one detail that came out in the hack, and... It made people question whether Ashley Madison actually had as many many users as people said. And so there were, there were men who then had the perception like, oh, no wonder nobody ever wanted to meet up with me from the site. These were just chatbots like chatting me up to keep my hopes up, right? To keep me coming back, hoping a lady would meet up with me. But these weren't real ladies. They were bots. In fact, it was calculated that up to 95% of the real users on the site were men. And as the hacker said when they released the data, chances are your man didn't have an affair. 
He just tried to. And this all checks out with Steve and his experiences. I remember going into Ashley Madison, signing up, and immediately uh, the robots were out. <laughs> Initially, they come along and they, they try and do a, a conversation, but the conversation, you know, when you start asking for more detail, the detail is not, you know, forthcoming. And what happens is it's a question now, well, you know, if you want to get more, you have to pay for these credits and tokens to move on. So there's a constant pressure. Where money and sex is involved, things can get a bit tricky and sometimes dangerous. This leak consumed people's lives to the extent that some people took their own. Unlike previous hacks, it didn't impact famous people. It didn't impact companies. It impacted private citizens whom wouldn't otherwise have no reason to be in the headlines. This was the first time when it became broadly clear how vulnerable we all are on the internet. Hey folks, thanks for listening. Just a reminder to follow Cheat wherever you get it. And please do leave a rating and a review if you like what we're doing. It helps other people discover the show. And of course, we want more listeners. Also, if you want to listen to the show without the ads, you can subscribe to Cheat Plus. It's like Cheat, but better. It's just $2.99 a month, or if you're in the UK, £2.49. And you get all of this without having to listen to those annoying commercials. Just go to Apple Podcasts and hit subscribe instead of follow. You can try it for free now. Next time on Cheat, it's the man who tried fake sailing around the world. Yeah, I said it, fake sailing around the world. He clearly needs to think of retiring, and yet he has just said he's 4,000 miles away from where he is. How can he retire without being utterly disgraced? He doesn't know what to do, and it is the unfolding of his ultimate breakdown and descent into madness, because... There's no escape. Cheat is written and presented by me, Alzo Slade. The producer for this episode is Tom Fuller. The series editor is Joe Sykes. The executive producers are Lizzie Jacobs and Tom Koenig. The original idea for this show was developed by Tom Fuller. Engineering, sound design, and scoring by Martin... That's how you have to do it, Martin. I want you to put your credit in just like that, Martin. Um... Engineering, sound design, and scoring by Martin Peralta. Our design and visual team is Emma Lansdowne and Sarah De La Rue. Thanks to Steve Ackerman, Mark Rivers, Peggy Sutton, and Ella McLeod. You still there? You didn't go make tea or something? Bake some crumpets? <laughs> uh,